Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. Okay, so marital sex, we know that God is definitely um, all about sex within marriage. It's the only time where God says that you are actually allowed to have sex. I have ordained sex in this context, and I want you to enjoy the yada intimacy that I have ordained. And so, as we've um, discovered time and time again, that yada intimacy is God's word for sexual intimacy, and it means a one flesh union. It's the deepest knowing. So the term yada is to know. So it's the deepest way that you could ever know another person. It's the way that God calls us to know him, but it's also the way that he calls a husband and a wife to know one another in that transparent, honourable, um, you know, uh, loving, mutually exclusive union in sex. So this is where God's like, yes, sex is good and thoroughly enjoy it. The beautiful thing about um, sex God's way is that it encompasses every single part of us. So it's not just something that involves the emotions, it's not just something that involves the physical body, it involves the spirit as well. And that's actually what differentiates, I believe, like godly uh, marriages from ungodly marriages. Because if you don't know God, you're never really going to know how to be one spirit with your spouse, because you actually need God for that. And so as much as we can have um, people that don't know God, who are enjoying a good sex life, but to actually enjoy the fullness of what God has ordained, you must know God. He must be central to it, because actually it's a spiritual union, as well as an emotional and a physical and a relational and a chemical um, union as well. So... What I'm going to begin by is just reading loads of scripture um, to do with this area. And um, just as I'm reading it, like it really just ministers to me. So if you just imagine that this is how God feels about sex. And there's loads of other scriptures, but these are the scriptures that I've kind of just chosen um, for this teaching. Most of the scriptures that I'm going to um, share are from the message translation, unless I state otherwise. So, Genesis 2, 24 to 25. The man said, finally, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, name her woman, for she was made from man. Therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and embraces his wife. They become one flesh. The two of them, the man and his wife, were naked, but they felt no shame. Ephesians 5, 25 to 28. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring out the best of her. Dazzling her, sorry, dressing her in dazzling white silk radiant with holiness, and that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favour since they're already one in marriage. 1 Corinthians 7, 1-6 to 
Now getting down to the questions you ask in your letter to me. First, is it a good thing to have sexual relations? Certainly, but only within a certain context. It's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sex life in a world of sexual disorder. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife, the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. Abstaining from sex is permissible for a period of time if you both agree to it and if it's for the purposes of prayer and fasting, but only for such times. Then come back together again. Satan has an ingenious way of tempting us when we least expect it. I'm not, understand, commanding these periods of abstinence, only providing my best counsel if you should choose them. Hebrews 13.4, and this is from the Amplified. Marriage is to be held in honour among all, that is, regarded as something of great value and the marriage bed undefiled by immorality or by any sexual sin, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Proverbs 5.19 Enjoy the wife you married as a young man, lovely as an angel, beautiful as a rose. Don't ever quit taking delight in her body. And then finally, I'm just going to read Soul of Solomon, the whole book. <laughs> I'm just going to read chapter four, um, but I'm going to read parts of it. So not the entire chapter, just some parts. Okay, the man says this. You're so beautiful, my darling. Your style is generous and full, expressive and strong and clean. Your lips are jewel red, your mouth elegant and inviting, your veiled cheeks soft and radiant, the smooth life lines of your neck command notice, all heads turn in awe and admiration. Your breasts are like fawns, twins of a gazelle, grazing among the first spring flowers. The sweet, fragrant curves of your body, the soft, spiced contours of your flesh invite me and I come. I stay until dawn breathes its light and night slips away. You're beautiful from head to toe, my dear love. Beautiful beyond compare. Absolutely flawless. You looked at me and I fell in love. One look my way and I was hopelessly in love. How beautiful your love, dear, dear friend. Far more pleasing than a fine, rare wine. Your fragrance more exotic than select spices. The kisses of your lips are honey, my love. Every syllable you speak a delicacy to savour. Dear lover and friend, you're a secret garden, a private and pure fountain. Body and soul, you are paradise, a whole orchard of succulent fruits, ripe apricots and peaches, oranges and pears, nut trees and cinnamon and all scented woods, mint and lavender and all herbs aromatic. A garden fountain, sparkling and splashing, fed by spring waters from the Lebanon mountains. The woman. <laughs>
Wake up, North Wind, get moving, South Wind. Breathe on my garden. Fill the air with spice fragrance. Oh, let my lover enter his garden. Yes, let him eat the fine white fruits. <laughs> so, just from all those incredible scriptures, we can, you know, we can, like, just in a nutshell, God says there's only one context for sex, and that is marriage, where husband and wife become one flesh. God also tells us that, um, you know, in this amazing, like, message translation of Ephesians, where it says in chapter 5, that everything God does and says is designed to bring out the best of the church, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And so with a husband and a wife, everything that the husband says should like, draw out her beauty. You know, and this um, relates to the marital bed as well. It should be a place where the wife actually blossoms and vice versa. We also um, get to hear in First Corinthians that, again, the only context is marriage for sex. And that in a world of sexual disorder, that... Sex drives can be contained and they can actually flourish in a fulfilling and satisfying way according to God's plan. And we're also told that um, marital sex is a decision to seek to satisfy one another. So the husband seeking to satisfy his wife, the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. And also we're told that abstaining from sex saying no to sex is only permissible if there's going to be a break from sex so that you can go into prayer and fasting. It has to be mutually consented. So we're told that the only time you would stop having sex with your husband or your wife is for prayer and fasting, but that you would always come back together again so that the enemy can't get a foothold and can't tempt you and can't use that to bring you know, division or bring um, hindrances into, uh, in your intimacy. We're also told that the married bed um, shouldn't be undefiled, that actually marriage should be held in honour and that the marital bed is a place that shouldn't be defiled and treated honourably. Um, and then obviously, by, you know, reading that scripture in Proverbs and Song of Solomon, we can safely say that God wants us to have fulfilling marital sex. And I mean, I know that me standing here, you might actually maybe not be able to receive because you might wonder, well, actually what qualifies me to stand here and talk about marital sex because I'm not married and I'm definitely not having sex. So like what actually qualifies me? And really I have to say, it's just the spirit of God, you know, and it's the fact that I've done it so wrong, you know, I know what it's like to get it so wrong in this area that I believe there's a hunger and a thirst in me to see the kingdom for us to get it right. Mm -hmm. And because I honestly believe God given me his heart in this area, that I don't even believe I have to be married in order to be able to share God's heart mm -hmm. about marital sex. And for me, the key about marital sex is communication. And in actual fact, we're just carrying on from last session. And last session was about celebrating and understanding how men and women have been created by God. And really, when it comes to marriage, that is what it is in a nutshell. How do you really understand and celebrate the way God has created your spouse? Even though they're different to you, how do you celebrate the differences? And how do you um, 
communicate those areas that actually you're not the same. So perhaps you might not be able to understand. And so for me, marital sex is about good communication that isn't just about sexuality, communication that's emotional, communication that's wider, it's yada communication. It's about doing life together and actually being connected in every single part of your life. That's when um, sex is actually great, when we're connected in every single area of our life when it comes to marriage. And just by um, you know, reading these scriptures from Song of Solomon, like, I honestly, honestly, my heart is so much that we would be people that would enjoy sex, only in marriage, you know, but that we would be a people that there would be no shame, that we would be fully released to actually have great sex because God ordained that for us. Like I've said in the past, that God created body parts that were purely for pleasure. And even like the chemical um, chemicals that get released, like vasopressin that I've talked about, dopamine, um, oxytocin, all of these incredible chemicals that bring such euphoric pleasure, God didn't have to do that. You know, it could have just been purely about reproduction. Like God could have just had the chemical reaction that's happening in our nerve cells and actually we didn't feel any pleasure whatsoever. But God chose to create us with the capacity and the ability to have such euphoric pleasure for, from sex. And actually, God wants us to fully engage in that. And it's not just that he wants us to fully engage in like the chemical aspect of it, but he wants us to fully engage in yada intimacy. And I honestly believe, like every single one of us that is sitting here, I believe that there's now a sense of um, responsibility that's on us now. Because now we know that God calls us to have great sex, holy, but great sex within marriage. And now if you know that, and you choose to still have bad sex, and you still choose to, as a couple, you still choose to not have God's best for you in this area, I think we're going to have to give an account of this. Like we're going to stand before God, and we're actually going to give him an account of what we did with our sexuality. Because this is a gift that he gave us. And so now that we know about it, like married people, you are fully released to go and have the best sex ever. It would be wrong for you not to, you know? Even though we know this, loads of things get in the way. It's not as easy as me standing here, someone who's not even married, someone who's not even having sex right now, and I'm saying, oh, just go and have sex, just do it. You know, and I don't want to ever think that I'm standing up here being flippant and being unsensitive or desensitized to someone's marital you know situation right now like i honestly honestly don't want to rule out exhaustion i don't want to rule out the business of life of life i don't want to rule out problems that people might be having in their marriages right now that they're trying to work through i don't just want to overlook all that and say i'll just get over it and just have good sex <laughs> but actually like god's word tells us that we should be having fulfilling sex you know, so I don't want to negate what your reality in the natural might be right now, but I want to share what I believe is God's best for us. But there are issues that get in the way. Stuff like physical exhaustion, low sex drives, you know, and all these kinds of things. And also the differences between men and women 
and not being able to understand how one another is wired, that can be a massive hindrance to a husband and wife actually enjoying sex with each other and enjoying a sexual union because they don't even understand, you know, because we live, you know, the, the way that we've been brought up when it comes to sex is in the church because nobody talks about it. So you don't even know what your wife or your husband's sex needs are because nobody told you. And by the time you figured it out, she don't want to have sex with you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so it's too late, you know? But I would just love it if we were a generation that we were actually raising any young people, we were talking about sex, and we were actually talking about what a woman's sex needs actually are in the right context, and what, you know, a man's sex needs as a husband actually are, so that you go into that relationship with that understanding, and actually you go into your marriage prepared, and for those that are married, then I pray that this will be a time where you know, there can be some healing and there can be some restoration if needed. And if it's not needed and you're actually enjoying like a, a really fulfilling sex life, then I pray that this will deepen your understanding of one another and actually help you to meet one another's needs in an even greater way. And so when God made men and women, he knew exactly what he was doing. He knew that he was wiring men and women differently so that they both don't have the same sex needs, they don't have the same emotional needs, they don't have the same physical needs, etc. Um, and I believe he did that for loads of different reasons, and I believe one of the reasons was to actually spice things up, you know, because it forces you to discover, it forces you to do things that aren't just going to be something that you want to do. You have to then delve into your spouse's desire and what they want and how they're wired, and so I think it's something that brings um, a lot of variety to the marital bed, but I think it also helps foster sacrificial love, because if you both just have, just have the same need, then it would be just a case of, okay, well, we just, we know what you both need, you know? But actually, you have to serve your spouse in this area. You know, marital sex, fulfilling, satisfying marital sex is actually about um, seeking to satisfy your spouse in a way that perhaps you have to give up your own desires, or you have to maybe try and explore things differently, or maybe you have to approach sex differently because your spouse um, has different sexual needs to you. It forces you to lean into God because without God, none of us can truly see someone in their best without God giving us his sunglasses, S-O-N glasses. And it's only through his help that we get to see our spouse in the best possible light, where we see actually that we want to serve them, that we don't see their, their needs as an irritation or as an inconvenience for, for us, or just, oh, you know, I really just wish that he or she wasn't like that. But actually, with God in the centre of it, you lean into God. You're like, God, how can I serve my spouse better in this area? How can I meet their needs? Even though they don't want to do what I want to do, or I don't, don't want to do what they want to do, but actually, I want to serve them, so I'm going to pray about it. And so it keeps God at the core of your sexual union um, if, your, if your sex needs are actually different from each other. And it brings such a richness and a diversity, I think, to your sex life. For example, I'm going to tell you something about the way men are wired. Men are aroused by visual stimulation, okay? So, this is just general, okay? I've got this information from this book, um, written by Gary and Barbara Rosenberg. And the title of this book is uh, The Five Top Sex Needs of Men and Women. And I thoroughly enjoyed reading it because I just learned 
just so much about how men are wired and actually how like, it gave language to how I'm wired. Because the other thing is sometimes a, a husband or a wife may not even be able to like discern that the way they're feeling is a sex need. The way, you know, issue that they might have, they might not realise that actually it's an intimacy issue. They might not even know that because they've, they've not been talking about sex. They've not been brought up talking about sex. And so actually being able to read this book helped give language to what women's sex needs and what men's sex needs are. But as I said, these are typically, it doesn't mean that this is how all men and how all women are. But typically, <laughs> aroused by visual stimuli, so stuff that they see and it turns them on. So a husband can look at his wife and be instantly aroused. It doesn't matter if she's got dinner all over her apron, if she's got, <laughs> she's got a kid on her hip. You know, a man can be aroused instantly um, just by visual stimulation. Whereas a woman is more complex, Kelsey Cree. Um, that she is like she needs like ages to warm up. So sex therapists and researchers say that it takes a woman as long as thirty minutes to become aroused. It's not for all women, but in general, a, a woman will take around thirty minutes to become aroused. So I came across this metaphor that men are typically, when it comes to arousal, men are like microwaves and women are like rice cookers. <laughs> <laughs> it also suggests from studies that. Men think um, men think about sex every 10 seconds, and women, brace yourself, think about sex every 17 days. Yeah, okay. yeah typically, it could be different for some. Some might think of sex more frequent than that or less frequent than that. Um, but nevertheless, that doesn't make women prudes and that doesn't make men perverts you know just because you think about sex 10, 10 every 10 seconds um or you don't think about sex like actually that's the way god has wired typically wired men and women differently and that's not something that we should actually despise that's not something that we should belittle or something that we should actually condemn someone for it's something that actually in a marriage you learn to embrace and work with and you learn to, for example, for a wife whose husband is thinking of sex every 10 seconds, then that's a, that's a need she's got to meet. I don't mean that, you know, obviously, every 10 seconds, but what I mean is we, as women in a marriage, women have to accept that men's sex drives generally are much higher. Not always, but you work with that. It's not just a case of, well, you know, well, I don't want to think about sex till, you know, March the 17th. And I need you to deal with that. It's a case of, okay, what happened with this? How do we work with the way that God has actually wired us? How do we embrace it? And how do we meet one another's needs? Another thing is that women in general approach um, sexual union through um, emotional intimacy, generally. And for a man in marriage, it's generally physical intimacy. So a man will reflect his need and his desire to be intimate with his wife by actually wanting to physically have sex with her. But for a wife, she will want to engage in non-sexual touch sometimes. She'll just want to talk. Like she'll actually want there to be like an emotional connection before she engages in the actual physical act itself. Both are giving an invitation for sex, but the invitation looks different. 
And actually, when we learn how to understand one another's sexual language, then actually you're not just thinking, oh my gosh, I really want to have sex and you just want me to hold you. You're not thinking that way. Because in your mind, you're like thinking, oh, I might not get some more right now. But you know, usually in about 30 minutes. <laughs> but yeah, it's like being able to understand um, what approach your husband or wife tends to take. So, in this book, um, there was a survey carried out of 700 married couples, and they discovered the top five sex needs of men and women. Again, not typically, but this is what came out of this survey. So I'm actually going to go through um, what, the, what the needs were. So for women, it was affirmation. For them to be able to want to have sex, they need to feel affirmed. Secondly, they need to feel connected to their spouse. They need non-sexual touch. They need spiritual intimacy. And they need romance. So these were the top five sexual needs that a wife actually has, according to this survey. For men, it was mutual satisfaction, firstly. So they have to know that their wife is actually also enjoying the sex. Secondly, they also needed to feel connected to their wife. They needed their wife to respond. So for them not to just feel that it's a one-sided thing, that the wife is just like, okay, well, you do your thing. <laughs> <laughs> not just a responsiveness, but actually initiation. Like, husbands want to know that their wives are going to initiate sex. That it's not just going to be them initi initiating it and the wife responding, but that actually the wife is going to take the initiative <coughs> and um, initiate sex herself. And then finally, affirmation as well for men was really important when it came to having sex. Um, so firstly, affirmation. When it comes to affirmation, a woman needs to have her self-esteem built. Like she needs to know that she's valued. She needs to feel appreciated. For her, it's not just a case of, oh, you know, my husband's just gonna do his thing and, you know, I'm gonna meet his need. She actually has to feel as if she's desired by her husband, but that she's appreciated and valued by her husband as well. So that might look like a husband giving uh, a wife genuine compliments, listening to what she's saying. I know for a lot of husbands, <laughs> they're just, you know, as long as they say yes, dear, in the right place, it's like <laughs> you can kind of get away with it, but actually really listening, you know, really, really listening. Um, if, if there's a quite a busy pace of life, then giving your wife the opportunity to actually slow down, you know, that helps um, affirm her saying complimentary things about her in front of other people and to her, noticing when she's, you know, got a new haircut, noticing when she's wearing a lip colour. And I don't mean just when you have sex. You know, you don't want to just bring out the compliments just because you want sex. You actually want that affirmation to be a lifestyle, you know, where that's actually your, your language for her. Um, overlooking offences, you know, and actually highlighting what she does really, really well, reminding her of who she is in the Lord and who she is as a wife and, and even as an individual. And during um, sex as well, affirmation is really, really important. And, you know, we read when we were, when we were listening to the Song of Solomon that he affirms her body, that he actually makes love to every part of her body. It's not just a, you know, um, kind of, it's not like a compartmentalised act. He really is ministering to every part of her. And so when you know you're, you're in that sexual relationship with your wife, 
she actually needs to be ministered to in this area, especially now when we live in a society where wives or women generally, and I guess men battle with this as well, but for women, like they really do suffer from uh, inferiority complexes, you know, a sense of insecurity, I'm just not pretty enough, I'm not thin enough, you know, I'm not toned enough, like all of that stuff. But for a woman, I truly believe that a woman feels as if she can rule the world, not because she's the prettiest girl in the room, but because she's the prettiest girl to her man, you know? And when that is true for her, she doesn't want to be, you know, a supermodel. She just wants to know that her husband thinks that she's the best thing since sliced bread. And so that affirmation, it must enter into the marital bed. It has to, you know? And husbands have this amazing, and like we read, you know, like that Christ brings out, you know, he dazzles us. And that's what should be happening in the marital bed. So. Affirmation, um, the first need. Connection. A wife is more likely to get sexually excited and be responsive and initiate sex if she feels connected to her husband. So if there's a lifestyle of connection. So if you're texting each other during the day, you know, or you're calling each other, or, you know, just whatever it might be, like doing things together, eating together, like doing life together. If a wife feels that she's connected with her husband in every other area, in the wider context of her relationship with her husband, I truly believe, and I don't want to, again, rule out issues that might be in the marriage, I don't want to rule out, you know, physical stuff that might be happening, but a wife that feels connected to her husband will want to have sex with him. Because it's just another facet of connection, you know? And connection, again, cannot just happen like here and there. It has to be a lifestyle of connection. So if you want to have sex with your wife, you know, it doesn't mean you call her just on the way home from work and, you know, try and prepare her for what you want. <laughs> but it's actually about communicating with her throughout the day, you know, actually coming home and maybe spending time with her. Like, I love it. Like the other day when I was at um, Kenny and Bianca's, like, Kenny is such, is such a cool husband. Like for those that don't know, we have a couple in our church group. Kenny and Bianca, they're not the best friends. So Kenny, I was around there, and um, Kenny came back from work, and he like totally like looked after the girls. You know, he um, helped with dinner, he washed all the dishes. Like he, I was just mesmerized because I'm from an Asian background, and Asian people don't do any of that stuff, you know. And when I saw Kenny just serving them and serving the girls, I mean, that's what's got to happen, you know, that kind of connection where um, the husband is really fully engaged with the wife's life, whatever that might look like. And it's, it's obviously, it's a two-way um, thing, but connection is crucial. And then um, non-sexual touch. So this was the third, third thing on the list. Um, touch is touch for a guy, you know? If you say non-sexual touch, a guy's gonna like, what? But actually, um, non-sexual touch is touch that isn't gonna result in sex. It's touch that has no expectation in return. So it could be a caress, it could be a massage, it could be kissing, it could be, you know, just, um, I don't know, like holding her hand, whatever. But it's touch that she can just receive without having to give out. And so, for example, um, you could have a couple where um, they may be sitting on the TV, sitting in, in the living room watching TV, and she's been like at um, work all day maybe, or she's been in the house or whatever, she served, 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 and now it's evening time and she's put the kids to bed, she helped them with their homework, she's cleaned the dinner, and blah, 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 blah. And 
The same with the guy, you know, he's been at work all day, maybe he came home, maybe he helped, helped around the house, you know, he did all of that. So both of them are actually really quite tired. They come and sit down on the settee. Now, for a guy, a guy could, this is just typically, run the whole like marathon and come back and still want to have sex. You know, like they have that, I guess, that energy or they have that testosterone and have that, have that drive. A man can have sex even though he's exhausted. A, a girl or a woman or a wife, she, although she might want to have sex, the physical act of just getting up and just the trying to get through the exhaustion, like even though she might want it, she can't do it. You know, she's pretty crackered, knackered. You don't know what that means, but yeah, it's like she's so so knackered that even if she wants to, she she can't, and she probably would need time to unwind. So you've got a couple, and they're sitting here on the settee, and they're both really tired, and they're both watching TV, and then the the husband begins to maybe massage the wife, and you know, just play with her hair or whatever. And then for her, this is the first time in the day where she's actually, you know, someone's ministering to her. So she's like, oh my gosh, this feels so good, and you know, she's leaning back and thinking. Yes, this is heaven, and he's just thinking, woo, woo, woo. like any minute now, you know. But for her, she actually just needs to be ministered to, she just needs to be replenished, she just needs non sexual touch that will actually just meet her emotional need for that time where she hasn't got to give out, she hasn't got to do anything, she hasn't got to serve, she hasn't got to in any way whatsoever do anything other than receive. And that would probably then result in her wanting to have sexual touch later, but for that moment, she just wants to be replenished. And oftentimes, a husband may, you know, misunderstand that response as her also wanting to have sex. So then he'll go in for a kill, and then she'll tense up. She's like, "Oh my gosh, I really, I don't want to do this." And he's thinking, what face? You know, like, just so you relax, like you look like you were ready. But so there's that miscommunication because he doesn't understand that in that moment, what she just needs is just some non sexual touch. So it's really just about um, communicating. And again, if a wife feels that my husband was able to lay down his own desire, his arousal, he was able to lay down his need in that moment to serve me then a wife is going to feel more susceptible and more willing to then be able to serve her husband sexually and satisfy him sexually if she feels that her need has been met and that she's been replenished and she now has got some strength and some rest. So it's just about learning how um, one another um, works. These things like affirmation and connection and non-sexual touch, all these things help build up a woman's trust. You know, because she can trust her husband. She can trust her husband with her heart. She can trust her husband with her emotions. You know, she'll, she, she'll be able to understand that not only does my husband love me physically, not only does he love me for all of this, but he wants beyond that. He wants me. He, he cares about me. He really actually cares about my needs. Um, another thing that was crucial for women was spiritual intimacy. So a woman needs to know that her husband is walking in his spiritual destiny. You know, like for me personally, there's nothing hotter than a man who knows he's God. You know, like I think that that's the most attractive thing in a man. And like last um, 
session when we were doing a Q&A, like when Tina, you know, someone asked a question, I think Liz asked a question about how she knew Deji was um, the one, and in a nutshell, she had asked the Lord that her husband be someone who loved the Lord, you know, above all things, and that's exactly what Deji was. And so when a wife has a husband who's seeking his God, and walking in that spiritual leadership in the house, and he's a praying man, and he's a worded man, a man that worships, a man that really takes authority. You know, that is an aphrodisiac for a woman. A woman, of course, is going to want to be one with that man because she's inspired by him, you know, because it's attractive. She's able to look up to him and just think, oh my gosh, yes, I'm so glad you are the spiritual leader in this house. I'm so glad you're my husband. I'm so glad that. God ordained for me to be in your care, that you're going to be the one, the decision maker in the home. You're the one, because you know your God, you're the one who can be fully entrusted with me and our family. Of course she's going to want to engage in sexual union with her husband if she's inspired by him. And I think sometimes if a husband isn't walking in the fullness of that, sometimes a wife, I believe, I'm not sure, but I think a wife can be for because she doesn't see the fullness of the masculinity of her husband. You know, because men of God are men of God. Yes. Like, they are men in fullness. Yeah. Like, you want to know, you can never, you know, there's people, there's people in the world, and, like, for me, I, I don't care what a man has in the world. If he doesn't know God, he's got nothing. Like, nothing. It really, really doesn't matter. If you are operating in life and you don't know God, then as far as I'm concerned, I don't want to be flippant, but you don't know anything. But when you know God, you know all things, you know. And so for a wife, to have her husband walking in the fullness of that spiritual leadership and that, and, and to know that he's a praying man, that they pray together. You know, praying is so crucial in a marriage. You know, like um, a husband praying for a wife. You know, how can I pray for you today? You know, I've been really pressing in, you know, with the Lord about this particular area. You know, a wife is able to trust, trust a man that she's able to pray with, a man who knows the word. So this is actually really crucial for a woman. And then finally, a woman likes to be romanced. So learn what your wife's love language is, if you don't already know. If you do already know, then amazing. But so there's a, a, a book, basically, and it always talks about the five love languages of single women or married couples or children or blah, 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 blah. So basically you have time and you have acts of service, you have um, physical touch, you have gifts um, and words of affirmation. And so learn what your wife's love language is and do that, like do that to romance her. So if she, if words of affirmation are her love language, then leave her notes, you know, speak life over her, tell her she's beautiful, Tell her that she's, you know, everything that the Proverbs 31 woman was and then some. Like, constantly affirm her. If she likes gifts, then might be expensive, but, you know, but you can make her stuff. You know, gifts don't have to be expensive, but learn what your wife's love language is. Remember the days that are important. That doesn't cost anything. You know, like for a wife, a husband who doesn't know when their anniversary is, like, that, that can be so crippling. You know, that does not, it's not rocket science, you know, put it in your phone. Like, it doesn't take a lot, you have to want it. Put it in your head, yes, according to Karen. But whatever it takes to remember, just remember. Um, do things like, that are special, that are just between you two. 
But I remember um, Ayo and Emmanuel, another couple again from our church, and I was talking to Ayo one day, and so her and me were engaged, and Manny, like Emmanuel, he just walked past, and he just did this thing with her. I don't know what it was, I can't remember, anyway, he just touched her. And it was so, like, just intimate. It was just husband and wife, you know, whereas I've sometimes seen couples where the wife's over here, the husband's over there, they don't make any eye contact, you wouldn't even know they were married, you know? (laughs) And actually, there should be something that's special just between you, not even something, there should be a whole truckload of things that are just exclusive to you and your spouse. Take her out somewhere, you know, take her out for a meal, cook her a meal, get a babysitter, you know, maybe surprise her one day and just get a babysitter and say, you know what, babes, I've got us a babysitter today, I'm taking you out. Or, I've got us a babysitter, I know us at home. Yeah. No, let's actually make the most of our time um, together. Some people could listen to this stuff and think, well, actually, yeah, yeah, I know you're saying that these are my wife's sex needs, and okay, fine, but you know, we're doing okay, my wife doesn't mind having sex with me, it's fine, thank you. But actually, your wife may not even recognise that these needs are not being met. She may have these needs and not even understand that actually, deep down, she she doesn't have emotional touch with her husband. She doesn't have her words of affirmation spoken over her. And actually, inside her, there's a part of her that's dissatisfied. There's a part of her that feels deep down somewhere that maybe my husband's a little bit selfish. Or maybe my husband doesn't value me and he doesn't appreciate me. And there's a part of her that feels disappointed. And although it might not come out, but it's still there, and it's something that um, simply can't be left to just, you know, chance. Or no, I, th- I think well, I think my wife will be right. <laughs> she hasn't said anything. But like, you, you know, as a husband, you have to make sure your wife is actually satisfied um, and having her sexual needs met. So, two, meet your uh, wife's needs. And be consistent with your affirmation. So not just when um, you want to have sex, but as a lifestyle. Um, brag on her in front of people. Make eye contact with her. Flirt with her. You know, have non-sexual touch with her. Um, also, uh, thank her and praise her continuously. What I just said about a wife not um, perhaps not feeling fully satisfied. She could even find herself looking for these needs to be met elsewhere. And it might not be all she's going to commit adultery, but she could gravitate towards someone who always pays her compliments at work. You know, someone who does notice her hair. Someone who does actually say, oh my gosh, do you know what? You are brilliant at this. So we all need affirmation. But if affirmation is your wife's love language and she's not getting it from you, then she may potentially end up looking for it elsewhere. And she may end up looking for non-sexual touch elsewhere. She doesn't realise she's doing anything wrong, but because she's being starved of it at home, she might find herself just having it elsewhere. So we obviously don't want that. And so if you want to meet your wife's sex needs, schedule a time for connection, where you're truly actually going to connect with her and listen to her and make her feel um, valued. Right, men's sex needs. So... <laughs> Mutual satisfaction. Again, typically, um, men want to know that they're a good lover. Like, a husband wants to know that he's pleasing his wife. I personally don't think it's very um, edifying for a man when a wife says, all right, fine, I'm just lying. You know? Or, all right, just 
get over and done with. And you might not say it in those words, but you could insinuate it. You could, you know, make that kind of impression that actually you're not really enjoying it. It's not really something you're doing it for yourself. You're doing it for them. And could they just get over and get over and done with, please? You know, because that I think can cripple a man's self-esteem. It can cripple him as a man to know that actually my wife doesn't really enjoy sex. You know, she just wants me to get it over and done with. And because he has that sexual need, he will have sex with you. But actually, God, you know, I personally think that when God puts two people together, he also puts them together sexually as well. And that God knows what each other needs. And if we were to really, really walk in the fullness of what God has for us, then I think many of us would actually find that we're sexually compatible as well. That it wasn't that God was like, oh, I'm going to make sure they're compatible in ministry. I'm going to make sure they're compatible in prayer. That's sex. I'm a minor. <laughs> you know, I actually think when God puts two people together, he makes sure they're compatible in all ways. So actually, a wife just lying there saying, get, you know, could you just do what you need to do? You're actually missing out on a privilege. You're missing out on something that God has actually ordained. Two people to come together, sexually enjoy each other. And actually, if it's not enjoyable for you, then that's daylight robbery. You know, the enemy is actually stealing something that God has gifted you to enjoy with your husband. And for a husband, that doesn't feel great when they feel that, you know, the wife is just doing it just for them. So in order to feel um, valued, they need to feel that they're actually pleasuring their wife as well. So mutual satisfaction is important. Men also want connection. So for a man, physical connection is um, his approach typically to intimacy. So that's what he actually wants. When he's engaging with a wife, he's not just, you know, kind of fulfilling his physical need. He's looking for intimacy at that point. And actually, that's his way of connecting to his wife. And for a lot of men, um, you know, their wife wants talking, you know, just want us to talk. Why can't we talk? And, all of that stuff is valid. It's really, really valid. But sometimes for a man, he has to have sex before his heart is tender enough to talk. You know, before he's able to open up in that way. And I'm not saying that for everybody. Again, I know men that chat away, you know, like they, you know, they talk about stuff like they have no problem with connecting, they have no problem with um, opening up. But maybe with your husband, he does. Maybe for you, particularly, your husband is someone that actually, um, he has to have sex before he feels connected with you, and that actually that's what gives him um, a bit of like a, an openness to be able to share his heart with you. So men do want to connect with their um, wives. And physical connection is the approach that men will generally take. Okay, so responsiveness. So men need to know that their wives are going to respond. So... For not for everyone, I think some married couples are enjoying a fulfilling sex life, but I think sometimes in some couples in Christianity it's seen as a duty, you know, it's a duty that I need to fulfill. And if you want to see it like that, then fine, although that's not the whole of it. But if you just want to see sex as a duty, then it's a duty that God has called you to fulfill, and it's a duty that you should respect and you should honor actually. God could have chosen someone else to be that husband's spouse. God could have, could have chosen someone else to meet their sexual needs in their marriage. But actually, God has chosen you 
you know, God's actually ordained you to be that person who's going to bring your husband pleasure and also who's going to minister to your husband. Because the thing is, like, a, a man may not just want sex just because he is feeling branded, but he men actually need sex. Like, I read this statement in this book that said, um, for, for men, sex is a need. For women, it's a gift. But men actually have to have sex. And it helps them think clearer. It helps eliminate stress. It helps them to relax. You know, obviously it gives them pleasure. So actually, when your husband wants to have sex with you, your response might just be, oh, gosh. But actually, you could think about it that, hold on, if I meet my husband's needs in this area, and I actually respond, and I'm enthusiastic about it, I get to minister to my husband. I get to meet his emotional needs. I get to actually meet his, um, you know, needs, uh, intellectual needs. I actually get to minister to him. If he's got a lot of stress on, that, then I'm able to help relieve that stress as well. So actually, it's not just a sexual duty. It's a way in which you minister to your husband as well. And as we read um, in uh, Hebrew, it's that, there is, it's not actually acceptable to refuse sex. And I'm not saying, you know, I don't want to negate abuse, I don't want to negate issues in the marriage, adultery, whatever. There's loads of reasons why a couple may agree not to have sex. But the Bible tells us there's only one time or one context in which you would disagree or whatever you would agree not to have sex, and that's for the purpose of prayer and fasting. So actually, what the Bible is saying is that have sex. Don't say no. You know, so... Um, a husband likes it when a wife then responds to that and it isn't seen as a duty, but it's something that the wife also feels um, excited about. And maybe not super excited, but, you know, don't look depressed. (laughs) 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 Oh my gosh! Um, Okay, initiation. So, men like it, according to this survey, when a woman initiates sex. And what's amazing is any woman whose needs are being met, so she's feeling affirmed, she's feeling connected, she's getting on sexual touch, you know, her man's walking in the fullness of his spiritual identity, and there's romance, of course she's going to want to initiate sex, because she feels valued, there's no fear there, you know, she doesn't fear rejection, she doesn't feel, you know, wondering, will will my husband even like me doing this, you know, is my husband even attracted to me, so it works both ways, a woman that's having her sexual needs met is going to feel fully released, to be someone who initiates sex. And again, I don't want to make light of any issues that might be in the way of a woman initiating sex, but actually men do want that from um, their spouse. And to help you do that, um, it's just like reminding us that both men and women are sexual beings. It's not just the man that's the sexual being, you know. And it's because we... I think, I mean, I was brought up in church, but, you know, the way that church kind of talks about sex is seen kind of like taboo, and oftentimes, you know, it's like very kind of, you know, boring, you know, no one really talks about adventure when it comes to sex, like in the church, so it's so safe that the idea of a woman initiating sex, I think for some women, is so far out there, and I know that's not for all women, like I know that there's plenty of women that re-initiate sex. But for some women, it's, it's like the most foreign thing because there's maybe fear of rejection. Maybe for them, they were brought up, um, you know, uh, perceiving sex as being dirty. 
sex as being something that you know uh, you only do for children. So in order for a woman to be able to initiate sex, there may be some you know um, a renewal of the mind that needs to take place before a woman feels released to initiate having sex with her husband. But that's what husbands want. And finally, affirmation. So a husband needs to feel that he's valuable and significant to his wife. I have seen couples where the wife will speak to her husband as if he's dirt, you know, and there's no respect there, there's no honour there, and I, I don't know what that would then translate into when it comes to sex. Like, I can't imagine that being a fulfilling sex life if the husband doesn't feel valued, if he doesn't feel respected and desired by his wife, if he just feels like, you know, well, I always say the wrong thing and I'm inconvenient and, you know, I'm clumsy and I never do anything right, then he's not going to have any confidence, you know, when it comes to um, sexual intimacy. So, actually, a wife is the only one that can make the husband feel like the king of his castle. You know, she's the only one who can build him up in that way. No one else has that privilege. No one else has that responsibility. No one else has that liberty. No one's been released by God to do it other than a wife. So actually, a wife needs to fully affirm her husband. Let her know how much you value him. Let her know how much you admire him, admire him as a man, admire his looks. You know, he might not be, you know, the world's hottest fella, but to you, you know, you're blessed that he's yours, and you're blessed with the way that he looks, and you're, you know, you love it when he wears that pink shirt, you know, <laughs> you know pink shirt, whatever. Yeah, you, you know, whatever, but tell him, tell him, like, I love it when you wear that aftershave, or I love it when you wear your hair like that, I don't know, whatever, just big him up, you know, because you don't want anyone else doing it, you know, you want to be the one that's bigging your husband up, and when a husband feels that he's actually desirable to his wife, then he's able to want to, um, like, uh, fulfill his wife's sex needs as well. If, she, if he feels that his wife doesn't really even care, then he's not going to care about satisfying her. But if he, he'll want to please her, you know, because she's constantly affirming him, of course he's going to want to please her in bed if that happens. Now, again, a wife might think, yeah, no, my husband is fine. You know, we don't do all of the stuff we've just written about, but they're fine. And again, you might find that a husband could feel dissatisfied. You know, yes, he might have sex with you, and yes, you might let him have sex with you, but because you're not responding, and because you're not affirm affirming him, and because he doesn't really feel connected to you, then he may still look for that connection elsewhere. And he may, you know, how many men do we know that stay late at the office because they're being affirmed at the office? You know, they're getting promoted at the office. You know, at the office, there's somebody. You know, they've got a title. People call them sir or whatever. I don't know. But at home, they come home and they maybe don't get that respect and that honour. So then sometimes it almost causes them to stay out of the house. But actually, when you've got a wife who totally adores you, thinks you're so fine, and actually wants to build you up and sees God in you and actually sees the best and calls it out in you, you're going to want to come home to her. You know, so... And this will actually prevent temptation. You know, why would you want to look at anyone else when your wife literally adores you? And you, um, yeah, it means that you're preserving. You know, one of the, uh, the scriptures in the Bible talks about, um, in a nutshell, it says being married can protect, you know, protect you sexually. Because if you're married, then all your sexual needs are being met at home. 
So you don't have to have sex outside of marriage because you're married. And actually, in the sexual union, you can enjoy sex as many times as you want in your home, and you don't have to go outside. So you don't commit, um, you know, you don't end up being promiscuous. You don't end up, um, you know, engaging in sexual immorality because you're allowed to have sex with your spouse at home. So actually, sex in marriage is a protection because if you're having sex with your spouse, then you know they're not looking elsewhere. And they shouldn't be, but that's actually a protection to keep your spouse satisfied sexually at home means they've got no reason to look elsewhere. So, to meet your husband's sex needs, you must realise that sex, whether you like it or not, whether you um, want to do it as often as your husband or not, you must accept that it plays a major role in a man's just what he desires and what he needs. And another thing that the book talks about is trying to say yes as much as you possibly can. Like I think that sometimes if you've got the wrong mindset about sex, no can just be a posture that you walk in. So your husband wants to have sex and it's just there and there's no, I'm tired. And before you even thought about it, your no always just comes out and you just it's just become routine. But actually, imagine if you were to avoid saying no and that it became routine for you to say yes. And even if you, for whatever reason, couldn't have sex at that time, to actually tell your husband that, okay, well, not right now, but maybe tomorrow. Or not right now, but tonight, after work. You know, whatever. Like, So you're not actually crushing your husband. It doesn't become a thing that where he just gets used to you just saying no. But actually, there's communication where you're saying, okay, I would love to, I honestly, honestly would love to, but I start working five minutes. <laughs> 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 like, whatever, you know, it's like, you finally talk, you're just like, no. But actually, also being able to, like, communicate and say, okay, honestly, realistically, if we had sex now, would it help you to think clearer? Would it help you, like, honestly, would it help you to, um, to um, stay connected with me? Would it help you to relax? Because sometimes no is just such an easy word to say, but actually the consequences of saying no can be detrimental and you don't even realise. Because your husband at that point could be battling with temptation. Your husband at that point could have seen someone in the office, but actually they need to come home and they need to know that their wife is there and they need to come home and know that this is the person I'm going to be connected to. Or they might be stressed out, they might have a big meeting, and actually they just want to release tension. There could be so many reasons that your husband actually wants to have sex. And just to have a blanket no, we don't actually really know the damage that that's actually causing. So to be able to say, okay, well, if we, if we, do you really need to have sex? Like, will it do X, Y, and Z? Or is this just bonus time? Because if this is just, you know, you're just feeling a bit, then there's a bit more flexibility, and then you can say, okay, well, maybe not now, but maybe tonight. You know, so it's being able to um, communicate that. And actually, meeting um, your husband's uh, sex needs might, it would, in, it would involve you actually um, initiating sex, you know. It would, might involve you going and buying yourself some new underwear or some, you know, something like that could actually create an atmosphere or an environment for sex. Again, it could involve you getting a babysitter you know, cooking your husband a really nice meal and then just going out with him. I don't know what that actually um, looks like, but it does take an active role um, from the wife in order to make sex fulfilling um, in a marriage. 
I again don't want to rule out the fact that um, sometimes if a couple have got different sex drives, then I can stand here and give it all of that. But if a husband and a wife at the moment are battling because a husband's got a low sex drive or a wife's got a low sex drive, it's not just as simple as go by yourselves and measure it. You know, actually, this is stuff that you could be battling with. And there's so many reasons that, you know, so many causes of um, low uh, sex drive. It can be medical, it can be um, something emotional, so like depression, um, Ill, illness, um, stress. Like, it could be even like, um, like issues with actually having sex where maybe you like are battling with premature ejaculation. So you're not, you know, the thought of, oh my gosh, I don't want to do that again, like you'll be embarrassed. So you might not want to have sex because you're too embarrassed to actually go through that, you know, just the shame associated with that. So there's a million reasons why you may not actually want to engage in sex um, or you can't. And talking about it would be the first thing, really. And again, it's easy for me to stand here, but not discussing it and not dealing with it means the problem just stays the same. So if anything, I just pray that I open up a whole can of holy words, you know, <laughs> like in your lives that force you to confront stuff where you have to talk about stuff. You have to go to the doctor if you need to go to the doctor. You have to, you know, go and see a, a Christian counsellor if you need to. You go and see the pastor. So I don't really, that's between you and the Lord. And I'm not standing there as like this sex therapist who knows everything. I haven't even got a clue. But I'm standing here because I feel that God wants to foster conversation about this and he wants to bring like a fresh perspective, a heavenly perspective about sacred sexuality. So I just pray that this would, if you're battling with any of this stuff, I pray that this will open the door where you can actually get help and it's something that you become um, transparent about. If you have got mismatched sex drives, um, yes, you could go to the doctors and you could maybe, um, you know, there are things that you can get for that. It might be a stress issue, in which case um, you might need counselling. Like, as I've said, there's lots of different things. Um, but sometimes, even with a low sex drive, have sex anyway. You know, like just do it. Because that in itself, like just doing it, could end up being something that triggers you wanting to engage in sex. Like just closing the door and just saying, I don't feel like it. Imagine what you're not giving God the opportunity to heal or step into or open up, you know? So, I would just say that if anyone is battling with low sex drive, it's been difficult for you guys to actually have sex, try doing it anyway. I know it's easy for me to say that. Please forgive me if that just seems like, oh, yeah, okay, fine. But try doing it anyway and then pray about it and, and talk about it with one another. Exhaustion. Like, we live in a society where all the things that are good for us, sex is good for married couples, but most of the time married couples are too exhausted to have sex. Prayer is good. Worship is good. Reading the Bible is food to our souls, but loads of times we're too exhausted to do any of those things. And life has this crazy way of stripping you of all the things that are good for you. And sex is another one of those things. Sex is crucial for a marriage to flourish. And if you're too exhausted to have sex, then maybe it means like rebalancing your life and your priorities 
Because if sex is not a priority in your life, then that could be very dangerous, you know? And I don't just mean, oh, having sex frequently, but that, that intimacy, you know? And if intimacy isn't a priority in your marital relationship, then the repercussions are massive. So it may actually mean, like after this, actually talking and saying and weighing it up and looking at your life, what is taking our energy right now? And if you're married, okay, so all your energy gets poured into your children, but your children don't have the best of you if you two aren't connected. And if the husband and wife aren't fighting together as one and enjoying the fullness of their marriage, then their children can never receive the maximum fruit that God has for them anyway. And sometimes children can become a priority. But actually, the priority is the husband and the wife. And when the husband and wife are in sync and they're flowing, then naturally the children are going to receive the fruit of that anyway. So it may mean actually like weighing it up. Are we spending all our energy in building up our children, you know, taking them to this club and taking them to that club and, you know, going to see this person and that person and then we're involved in, and then we're doing ministry? Wait, I mean, maybe ministry is taking up most of your time. And actually, ministry is not meant to replace the family. So coming together and just saying, right, let's reassess our life. What have we made a priority which actually doesn't need to be a priority? And what have we let slip? And it actually may mean you two together because it's a mutual thing. Having a lack of intimacy is no one spouse's issue. It's a marital issue. And so you together, in mutual agreement, say, okay, well, for now, for the next six months, let's not do this. And let's actually use that time to get physically and emotionally intimate. And be diligent about it. Because a full sex life is something you have to contend for. It's not something that's just going to be handed over to you. Like truly to have the fullness of fulfilling yada intimacy that involves the spirit, the emotions, and physically, you have to fight for that. And so really, again, like I just pray that I, like that in you is stirred up a fight to actually contend for that intimacy because without it, your family can never truly be the best that it has been called to be um, by God. So yeah, and even like making Sabbath a sex day. Like, I know it's all gone quiet, but Sabbath is a day that we're actually meant to rest you know, imagine if that's the day that you actually enjoyed one another, when you're not worrying about, you know, all the other stuff, but actually you're like, okay, when it's a Sabbath day, this is the day that we're going to enjoy one another, and we're not going to postpone that for anybody else at all, because actually sex relaxes you, you know, good sex relaxes you. You know, but imagine if you could just stay at home and enjoy your spouse, like save yourself more money, you know? <laughs> But none of this can happen unless you're willing to talk about sex, you know, because you could have a husband and a wife sitting here or going to listen to this podcast and you two have never actually even mentioned the word sex to each other, sex to each other. And actually it can't be that thing that you never discuss. Like sex can't be the thing that is the unspoken word that no one ever says in the house because sex has to very much become part of our vocabulary. Sacred sexuality has to become part of our vocabulary as children of God. Because our children, like I've said again and again and again, they're going to find out about it somewhere. And actually, if parents aren't talking about it, you're going to have a hard time talking to your children about it. 
you know, and if parents aren't, you know, if, if um, parents hide the fact that they have a sexual relationship from their children, then they're not really role modeling intimacy. Like, children need to see intimacy in front of them. Like, it doesn't matter if your child, personally, I could be oversetting the boundaries here, but if your child knows you're engaged in intimacy in that way, that's not a bad thing. You know, like we, when we were praying earlier, I was just reminded that in the Jewish uh, tradition, when a wife, you know, a husband and wife come together, the whole village, everyone at the wedding knows you're about to consummate the wedding, the, 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 the marriage. You know, they were waiting. Little kids, you know, everyone's waiting to see that sheep. <laughs> it's like sex isn't taboo. Everyone knows what's going on in that tent. At that time, everyone's aware about it. You know, it's not a dirty word because it's normal for them. And so it has to be the same in our homes where somebody if our parents know what, I mean, if the children know what mum and dad are up to, it's good because then they understand that marriage and sex is just for marriage. You know, when I talk to my um, uh, two little nephews, because they're like five and, and six now, and, you know, they come home and they tell me all these like, words that they picked up at school and we're on their army and I'm Christian, I'm trying to teach them about Jesus and they say they're, they're Christian or whatever, and they're really young. So when they come and tell me about sex, I always try and explain to them that sex is for mummy and daddy. It's not something that you do outside of a marriage. But their mum and dad are not married. And it's so difficult. Like, how do I make these beautiful children understand the dynamics that actually your mum and dad aren't actually married? And, you know, I can't even give them that framework. You know, it's going to, how, how do I explain that to them? But actually, for married people, what's holding us back? You know, if you're a married a couple and you've got children, you've just got the best foundation to actually be able yeah. to break down sex to your children in a way that God has given yes. them the capacity to understand. Like even little children have the mind of Christ. You know, they can understand about sex trade. They can understand, you know, they don't have to know about the birds and the bees. Like, I don't even know what that is, but they don't have to understand about all of that. They can understand about, you know, just uh, two people coming together and being exclusive. And that's what we actually need to be um, growing our children up with. So, talking about sex. Lots of reasons could stop you from talking about sex in your relationship so, or in your marriage. It could be the way that you've been brought up, the fact that it's taboo, the fact that you're not comfortable with having um, conversations about sex. But we want to break all of that. And we want couples to be able to really talk about what not only just how they see sex, but what they want from sex. Like imagine you're living this whole life together. Imagine you've been married 20 years and you actually really don't know what your wife likes. What a waste. But actually what a waste that you potentially could be getting it wrong for 20 years. And you could you two could have been, you know, enjoying each other and getting it right if only you actually talked about it. So really being able to talk about even finding out one another's, you know, like history. And I don't mean talking about partners and whatever, but talking about where do you get your belief system about sex from? Is it something that you learned when, you know, you were abused? Because if you're in a marriage and your understanding of sex comes from abuse, then you're never ever going to be able to fully give to your husband or receive from your husband or your wife. And so actually having that conversation, that very honest conversation that, you know, we, we are making love, but I don't even know what your thoughts about sex are. Like, how do you feel about sex? Like, what do you, what were your first thoughts about it? Have you ever really had any experiences that have been negative? Like, do you find sex 
power sets negative? Like, is there something that I'm doing that actually breaks your heart or actually like remind you of anything? Like, these are is is we can't afford not to have these conversations. We can't afford to just leave these things to chance and just hope that they work out. Actually, having those very honest relation uh, conversations within our marriage relationship, and this will also be a time where you talk about issues such as hygiene. Because I mean, a reason you don't want to have sex with your wife may be that you know something to do with hygiene, you know, or maybe you find your husband overweight. Like these are valid things that actually, because you have to be sexually attracted to your spouse, and if you actually think, you know what? I hate the way you look right now. But you're not going to want to sleep with them. Like, and God wants us to have an attraction for one another. So actually being able to talk and say, you know, darling, I'm so sorry, but I honestly think that, you know, it's like, I just can't cope with how much weight you put on. Like, can we maybe start doing exercise together? Like, come on. Or like, you know, bad breath. Like, come on. No one wants to kiss somebody with bad breath. I'm really sorry. And if you've been doing that for 20 years, then God help you. You know, like, come on, let's have that conversation. Like, just, I won't know, just say, I'm done with that. I love it when we have sex once we've both brushed our teeth. Love it, it's my favourite time. Or, you know, darling, I love that. I love that deodorant that you wear. You know, I don't know, but like honestly, I don't know, pray about how you would tackle it, but these physical issues can sometimes get in the way of feeling like, you know, um, sexually attracted to somebody. And when you're communicating this, like, don't don't be criticising, you know, or don't get defensive. Like, you know, this is brave communication. That is worth it. The fruit of brave communication is phenomenal. You can't even, you know, buy that stuff. But to actually have the guts and the courage to actually say, darling, you know, let's have a chat that could in the long run really, really bring us much fruit. So you do it in a way that's not defensive, you do it in a way that's not critical, you do it in a way that doesn't feel judgmental or condemning, but absolutely with love because you're both on the same team. And it's also crucial to discuss boundaries. So it's things are going a little bit saucy now. Okay, I'm just warning you guys, okay? So I'm going to talk about stuff now that I don't know if anyone ever talks about in church, but I don't see anyone else talking about it. So I'm going to say stuff that, you know, you'll just give me wisdom. But I personally think that in a marital sexual union, there's so much pleasure to be had. And actually, as Christians, we put it in a box. And a lot of the times, I'm not saying for everybody, but a lot of times, people just settle for the missionary position. And it's like, okay, this is what we're going to do, because this is what my grandmother did. And my grandmother, and my grandmother. So, this is what we're going to do. But actually, God is, there's nothing boring about God. And I'm not saying the missionary position is boring, please forgive me. But it's not the promised land, you know, like, there's, there's so much more to be had than just that, you know. And again, I'm not saying that it's just that. You know, you can enjoy that and that's amazing. But don't, like, put limitations on your sexual union because we serve an exciting God. Like, he did not have to bring an orgasm into the mix. You know, that already tells us that our God is very, very exciting. And so I believe that this
so much pleasure to be had. There is so much freedom in marital sex, but with anything when it comes to God, freedom always flourishes on the foundation of boundaries. So they are healthy, holy, <laughs> yeah, so freedom always flourishes within boundaries. And so there are healthy boundaries to be had in marital sex. And these boundaries are helpful because um, it will mean that the sex that you're having is still honourable and it's loving and it's focused on your spouse and nobody else. And that it doesn't gravitate towards addictions, it doesn't gravitate towards fetishes, it's about you and your spouse. So when it comes to healthy boundaries, I think a good way is firstly just to be able to rule out all the stuff God says no to. So standard, you wouldn't even do that stuff. So fornication, adultery, homosexuality, lustful passions, you know, where your lust is an insatiable, um, I guess uh, an illegal, you know, kind of um, drive to get something. So none of those things. So you wouldn't even go down that realm because God says no to that stuff. God also says no to coarse joking and unwholesome talk. But in marriage, you can flirt. You know, there can be sexual innuendo. Like, there can totally be that kind of um, exchange taking place. And you can enjoy that. Um, but what does God say yes to? And what are the appropriate boundaries? Now, there's loads of like grey areas in the Bible. So like the Bible isn't going to say, okay, don't engage in oral sex. Okay? The Bible doesn't say that. But there's so many things in the Bible that will give us enough wisdom to then be able to translate that wisdom into the bedroom. So the Bible might not say anything about using sex toys. But actually... Taking God's wisdom on board, the Bible says that everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. And this is what we have to take on board. Whatever you choose to do in the bedroom, you can do anything. You know, as long as you're not doing the things that clearly say, that are in the Word and say they're, they're sinful, as long as you're not doing that stuff. But in those grey areas, you really have to seek God for, the, for that wisdom because what might be good for one couple is not going to be good for another couple and it has to be something i believe personally that you have to mutually have consented to and if you two mutually consent to that then it's between you and your spouse and between you and god now there are some things that i think you shouldn't do because it's unhygienic you know like seriously and because homosexuality has been made legal and you're allowed to be married as gay um couples you're going to have children that want to know and people that want to know if anal sex is okay and i'm saying this because honestly i get people that ask me that stuff and honestly on a level we have to be able to say yes or no and the bible doesn't say anything about anal sex in marriage but again Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. I personally don't think that's how God ordained our body parts. And when it comes to anal sex, um, the greatest or the highest level of STDs come from homosexual activity. 
and it leads to death. Like, I think there's something like 500,000 or maybe a million ridiculous number cases of this particular sexually transmitted diseases, a disease that's on the increase every single year and it leads to death. It will kill you. God is not the author of death. God wouldn't ever orchestrate something that would lead to death. So that in itself helps me to rule out anal sex as something that's not even from God. And I would go, you know, something like oral sex, I just, you know, I don't want to be the one, but it's between you and the and your spouse. Like some people think it's, it's not of God. And for some people, they read Song of Solomon and will say that clearly there are parts of Song of Solomon that are actually referring to it. It's between you and your spouse, but again, it has to be said that hygiene issues and STDs are involved with oral sex. And actually the safest, um, safest sex you can have is actually intercourse. And another thing when it comes to homosexual sex, like we know that's wrong, but even when I think of you know the idea of anal sex, you're not even looking eye to eye. You know, God's created intimacy, he's got the yada intimacy, and you, you don't even have eye contact. So I think just that in itself, like, rules those kinds of things out. And I think the key way of having sex is where you are having intercourse, mainly, and it's between you and your spouse, so no third person gets involved. Sex toys, I think you, you know, you're going on icky ground here. Because God didn't make us, you know, Adam and Eve weren't created with a sex toy. You know, that everything that they need is already within them. You know, God has created Adam and Eve and he created men and women. They, we didn't come with something to help us, you know, gain sexual pleasure. And the thing is with sex toys, it's like you could end up becoming dependent on them. And, you know, another thing is in terms of boundaries, make sure it's not something that then you then have to depend on. Instead of, you know, wanting your, your spouse to um, satisfy you, you get used to that that gadget or that toy satisfying you. And porn, porn, for me, that's the third person coming into your marriage. And then the, the um, attraction or the object of your affection becomes a virtual image instead of your spouse. So anything that tries to come in between your spouse, you have to, you have to guard that. that. That for me is not something that you even invite into um, your sexual relationship. And, you know, does it master me? If it's a, some kind of a, a sexual fantasy that you have that you want to in, in, involve your spouse with, is it going to be something that's going to end up mastering you or your spouse? Because you don't want to be enslaved to anything. So is it going to be, a, 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 you know, a type of um, pleasure that's going to bring freedom? That, and it has to be something that you and your spouse agree to. Forcing your spouse to do anything is not God's way. You know, and that takes me on to the other stuff, like the, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey and all of that. You know, the SNM stuff, the poor stuff, that's not God's nature. So forcing your husband or wife to do something is not God's nature. However, if you have a spouse who is into that, there's some deep issues there. And again, referring to the anal sex, if, if someone wants to do that and they're pushing for that, that's a deeper issue than just sex. You know, so we go back to what we what we learned in the second session when we were talking about, you know, when your sexual character was being built and you were being exposed to certain things and things came and you began to, you know, have those sexual cues and you began to be aroused by certain things. 
What has happened in your spouse's sexual journey for them to be aroused by those fetishes? What is it? Why is it that they, they want to ask you to get into something that relates to force? What have they been exposed to? You know, what is there in their history? What strongholds need to be broken? So it's great to actually enjoy a fulfilling sex life and, you know, to talk about maybe fantasies that you have for one another. And, you know, just get fun, I guess, within your marriage and within these boundaries. But you really have to do it together and you have to um, really measure. Well, hold on, these fantasies or these things that you want to do, um, the root of them may be something unhealthy and something demonic that actually needs to be severed. And so what we really want is for a fulfilling sex life that keeps the spouse as the object of your affection and that you're not using them to fulfill a fantasy that you became aroused by 15 years ago because of an image you saw. You know, so that whatever you want to do with your spouse has to be because your spouse turns you on, not because you've become accustomed to a certain sexual um, cue. So ultimately, the bottom line is that we should, as married couples, for those that are married, you should do whatever you can to keep the fun and the excitement in your sex life. You can't afford not to. So whatever that might look like, I just, yeah, I just pray that you guys get released and the married couples that you know get released to fully enjoy um, a fun uh, sex life. So.